Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our weekly Penguins chat. Andrew Destin with Matt Menzel, who's on the ground in Philadelphia ahead of Monday night's Penguins-Flyers game. We're recording this on Sunday night, coming after Penguins practice. Uh, a lot to get into here, some power play discussion, naturally, with the way that unit's been going, but certainly some other things to discuss about the Penguins' kind of mediocre start to the season. But um, before we get into that, I want to remind you that this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get your new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella windows and doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. Again, that's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Uh, well, Matt, certainly this past week um, has been a roller coaster for the Penguins. Um, some cool moments, certainly on their end, with Tristan Jari getting the goalie goal and the win over Tampa. Um, and somehow, some way, uh, out of the three games, they get four points. Um, but it, maybe it didn't feel like that from the Penguins' perspective. How would you kind of recap this week at large from the Penguins? Yeah, I mean, it, as you said, they got four out of six points. They usually would feel pretty good about that considering that two of them came on the road and, you know, Nashville is never an easy place to play. Tampa is still a good team, but um, you know, kind of how they got to this point um, they feel like they left points on the table, um, you know, a tough ending than Nashville, um, a really just frustrating loss to the flyers. I mean, they, they scored with 21 seconds left to send it to OT and salvage a point, but just the mood in the locker room just was, was very sour um, and it's because of the power play. The power play cost them again, cost them a point in the standings. And, you know, I think they're looking and they didn't say this, but, you know, they're looking up at the Flyers in the standings, probably thinking we're better than this team. We should be better than this team. Um, you know, and it's just there they are scuffling in the standings. So, yeah, four out of six points. But I think, you know, when you zoom out and look at this team as a whole, um, you know, there's the, the concerns are starting to pile up for this group. And it's it's more than just the power play, but we should probably talk about the power play. Yeah, first and foremost, probably just based off of what transpired today being Sunday at practice. Um, coming on the heels of that 0 for 5, I believe it was, power play performance, including uh, not capitalizing on a minute of four on three play during Saturday night's loss in overtime. Um, some power play changes could be in store for the Penguins based on what the workflow was on Sunday. Um, no changes to the four forward lines or three defensive pairings, but the power play, um, Crystal Tang looks like he's back in the fold. Um, he was taking reps at the point. Eric Carlson, who's been the point man all season, had moved back over to the left flank. Um, this was something the Penguins experimented with a little bit in the preseason, but scrapped once Jake Gensel was healthy. Um, that was in part probably what ne uh, necessitated trying that out to see if it was something that uh, Coach Mike Sullivan wanted to try there, but um, this is a power play change we could see. Um, I guess I'll pose it to you one of two ways, Matt. One, what's your initial reaction to this move to go with two defensemen, three forwards instead of one D, four forwards? And two, do you think this is a change that can have an impact on the power play um, in a positive manner? Or is this just, you know, something they're shuffling that maybe won't actually lead to much? Yeah, I would say it's not surprising they made this change. Um, you know, the power play is just a mess right now. Um, 27 straight without a goal. They haven't scored a power play goal in 10 games. Um, you know, as I said earlier, they've left several points on the table um, because they're powerful. You look at that one nothing loss to the Rangers the night before Thanksgiving, for example, that's a game where the power play could have made a difference. And and somehow this game against the Flyers wasn't even rock bottom for them in the power play. Let's not forget about the, 
the five on three late in the game against the Ducks at home where they allowed the shorthanded goal with 11 seconds left. So um, a lot of lowlights here. But, yeah, I, I think the Penguins know they need to do something. They've tried some things. Um, you know, they had Jake Gensel running the point against the Flyers in the first power play of the game, which was, to me, I thought it was totally nonsensical. But, um, you know, I think Jake's a pretty good pretty good defensive forward. He's pretty good at defending odd man rushes, actually. But I don't know if that would have been the first place I went. So I do think it makes sense to give Latang a shot. I don't think they should stop there. Um, you know, we talked about some of these issues last week. You know, Malkin's hurting them more than he's helping. I, I think Sid needs to be off the goal line so we can make more plays. But I do think Latang is a good start. And it makes sense, too. I mean, the Penguins have allowed, what, four shorthanded goals this year. Three of them have come in the last dozen games or so. And we'll see Mike Sullivan do this. Like, okay, you guys are allowing shorthanded goals. We're going to put a second defenseman out there. But I actually think it might make sense in terms of trying to score goals as well. Um, you know, in that left flank spot, they, they've tried a few different guys and it hasn't made sense. Um, they haven't had a shooting threat on that side. And really, they haven't had a playmaking threat. Um, you know, and, and Carlson's got a great shot. Obviously, he's a pretty good passer. Um, he's going to be looking at the ice from a completely different vantage point. So it's an adjustment. But at least, like, the attributes are there for him to maybe give them some, some of what they're missing on that side. But, um, you know, that said, we saw them try it for a while in training camp. Um and it was a mess then too, so we'll see. But at least Sullivan is trying something drastic. And this feels like, you know, when he shuffled the, you know, split the the power play up into two groups a week ago, we knew that one wasn't going to last. But this one has the potential to last, um, particularly because there's a chance that it might get them better res better results. Yeah, one that definitely can stick. And you mentioned Carlson being there at the left flank. It's something that he talked about a little bit, not in terribly great detail, but um, has a little bit of experience with that just because when he was in San Jose, when him and Brent Burns for a little be, uh, brief period of time, they tried experimenting with the two of them on the same power play unit. It was Burns at the point and Carlson at the flank. So there's that that he can lean on as well. well how did it work? Uh, not Mr. very San well. Jose. <laughs> it did not work well, and they split that up pretty darn quickly. So, yeah. Well, it's just something like I, I, I know like if you're listening to this, podcast you probably are a diehard hockey fan and you may know this and i'm just rambling for no reason but for our more casual readers i mean when you're when you're in a different position it really you're looking at the ice completely differently i mean you know crystal tang just looking at five on five for example is so used to coming out from in behind his net and seeing the ice from that vantage point making those breakout passes skating you know fans are always like oh why don't you put him on the wing because he can't play defense well it wouldn't work because he wouldn't know what to do there so you know, even these guys are amazing, talented players, but they've been playing certain positions for their entire life. It's no different than asking Kenny Pickett to go out there and try to play wide receiver. Um, although maybe that wouldn't be a bad idea for the Steelers. <laughs> now I'm rambling. But it is an adjustment for Carlson, but at least, like, the theoretical skills are there for it to work with him in that spot. It's just a question of whether he can get comfortable and, um, you know, they, they can figure out how to make it work with him there. Yeah, it's certainly something to keep tabs on just in the sense of, hey, this is two guys that are trying it out. This is something that was floated earlier back in the preseason and something that some fans dreamed about when the Penguins acquired Carlson at the beginning of August. Well, now they're getting a chance to see what this actually looks like if you got both of them out there on the power play at the same time. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. But what's um, amazing is that this is not the league's worst power play. Yeah. Like uh, Washington, right? Washington with Ovechkin as well. They've been worse. Um, you know, Chicago, I know they're going through some turmoil, but they're right there with him in terms of total power play goals. But 
it's just wild to look at the stats and somehow this team is only like 28th or 29th in power play success rate. Um, and then even when you factor in the shorties they've given up, um, they have a plus three goal differential in the power play and they still don't have the league's worst net power play rating. So, um, you know, they say there's nowhere to go but up. I'm not ready to say that. We, we, might, we might not be completely to the bottom yet, but I, I do think this is a welcome change with Latang there and, and we'll see where they go from here. Yeah, I mean, come on, they're only trailing Carolina for the most shorthanded goals given up by two. So, hey, who knows? Maybe they, they achieve that over this next week. Later. Wait, Carolina's given up six shorthanded goals? I believe so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there, there's a stat for the day. Hmm. Shout out Natural Statric for that one. Um, but anyway, um, moving on off the power play talk, though, um, you know, that's something that's obviously been a focus point, and rightfully so about the Penguins' struggles. But um, there's no secret, right? The issues go beyond that. And – there's a few that we've compiled here. And the first one I kind of want to uh, bring up to you and hear your thoughts on is something that Penguins fans may remember quite well from last year uh, is the inability to hold leads in the third period. Is that something that's a major concern for the Penguins right now? Where do they stand with that? I asked, of course, coming on the heels of the Penguins, um, blowing a, a third period lead against the Flyers on Saturday night. Yeah, it's a concern. I mean, they've, they've, uh, I believe they have led four times in the third period and lost um, after doing it. And I think three of those games have come fairly recently. Yeah, that, that is true. Yeah, they blew a two goal lead against Chicago, and then they hadn't blown a, a third period lead for a while until the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the fact that it's a carryover of what we saw last year, I, I think makes it more troubling because it's, it's a schematic, stylistic thing, and it's a lot of the same guys who are out there for it. Um, you know, so that's a problem. Um, you know, you, you can't have a lead in a third period and then just give points away. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting too, because it's such a departure from Mike Sullivan's first like six or seven seasons with the Penguins. They very rarely lost, um, when leading after two periods. And now it's become something over the last two years that happens, um, pretty regularly. I mean, I, I think some of that can be you know, attributed to the league as a whole. You're just seeing more lead changes, more goals, more wide open games. But, um, you know, the Penguins have been guilty more than anyone or, or close to it over the last two years of giving away these leads. And again, they're, they're, they're not some juggernaut. They're a team that's right on the fringes of the playoff race right now. And all these points matter. And, you know, they can't afford to be giving them away. And they gave one away, um, you know, with that shorthanded goal. Uh, against the Flyers. Right. With the third period leads that have been blown, I, I guess one thing that kind of comes to mind with me is how Sullivan, you know, deploys his lines, right? It, it's no secret that you're going to change how you're approaching the third period versus the first two if you enter it with a lead. Um, I, I forget exactly which game it was. It was probably two or three back where there was one where Malkin's line was used less. I think that was the Toronto, Toronto game. game. Yeah. Yeah. The Toronto game, right? Where Achari's line is out there more than Malkin's in the third period. Um, I, I relate it back to that just to bring up, like, how would you, I guess, go about it with the way this team is uh, comprised, right? The way that it's lined up with the four forward lines. Like, um, is there anything about the way that Sullivan uses them in the third period that you quibble with? Or is this is that reading too deep into it that this is more um, the issue is greater than, hey, we're throwing Malkin's line out there too much when we're trying to hold on to leads or not enough or something like that? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to individual decision making. Um, you know, the Penguins right or wrong they don't want to completely sit back in a shell when they have a lead in the third period they want to try to add on to the lead 
and be aggressive and the opportunity presents itself. And in some games, they kind of walk that line and um, other games they don't. Um, so I do think that's part of it. I mean, it, you, you can kind of set aside the Flyers game um, just because that was, you know, they're, they're on the power play uh, trying to make it a two goal game and then they give up a breakaway. Um, it's kind of a fluke occurrence that, you know, doesn't really speak of a bigger issue other than they're a mess in the power play. So, I mean, I do think that factors into deployment. Um, you know, it's no secret that Malkin is a gambler, um, you know, so if they're in a position where they're trying to hold on to a lead and they have the luxury of being able to roll out um, Crosby's lines and Achari's line. Now Achari's hurt right now. We don't know when he's going to be back, but yeah, maybe that's the way you go about it. But um, I don't know. I mean, it, you, you just look at it and you think there might be a fundamental flaw with the way this team is built and coached because they want to keep being aggressive and trying to score um, in part because they don't really have the personnel to just kind of pack it in and, and play defense. So if they're not able to tack on those goals, which is something Sidney Crosby always talks about. I mean, they, they could blow like a, a six, nothing lead in the third period. And Sid would be like, well, we had chances to add another goal and we didn't do it. And I think that does kind of speak to the, the overall mindset of the team as well. And if they're not scoring those goals to make it a two, three goal game, and they're clinging to a one goal lead, um, you know, other teams are going to be able to get their chances on them as well because they're not the most stout defensive team. Right. Certainly. I mean, that's, you know, I, I guess that maybe leads me to this is probably too high level of a follow up. But when you mention the way the team is structured and the way they, these guys always talk about the identity of the team is offense. I mean, that's certainly based on the results and, you know, how they score um, for the most part at five on five play, at least uh, not power play, certainly right now. But with the way the team is, you know, comprised, the way that it's structured, um, I, I guess what comes to mind for me is when you look at it, is that something that should be concerned for Penguins fans that, you know, maybe time has run up on that being the correct way of structuring this team or I, I, I don't know, I, I guess just put it in your court. When you look at it, is this still the right way to go about it with this Penguins roster in its current form? I mean, what's the alternative? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're locked into this team for the most part. Um, you know, maybe they could, pull off a trade with somebody like Raquel, or I don't think they should do it, but they could trade Jake Gensel to, to if they want to kind of drastically change the look of this team. But I don't know if they're going to do that. I wouldn't advocate for trading Jake. So I think this is just the team and this is who they are. And when you have egos in play as well, and um, you know, it, it's hard to, or it, it seems like maybe, I don't know, try to figure out how to put this. <laughs> But, I mean, there's egos at play, and you look at the power play, for example, and, um, you know, is, is it hard to go to someone like Evgeny Malkin and say, okay, you're not playing on the top power play anymore, or you're not playing down the stretch of a lot of games? Um, you know, I think that's something that Sullivan is probably grappling with. And, um, you know, I can understand a coach who's been there for a long time and has relationships with these guys and knows how to press their buttons, um, kind of, you know, wanting to be careful with how he navigates. But there's also – um, you know, the fact that we're seeing the same stuff over and over and over in some areas with this team, um, you know, suggests maybe that guys are maybe a little bit too comfortable with how they've been doing things. And maybe they can't do those things the same way anymore at the age that they're at. Right. Certainly something that, you know, inevitable father time is undefeated. But um, and on that note, I guess it's a good transition into the next talking point, which is um, injuries uh, to this Penguins team. You know, they entered the season. This was certainly one of the oldest teams uh, just by average age of roster uh, in the NHL. So it really shouldn't come as too much of a surprise how the injuries have started to mount here. 
Um, a couple coming out of today's practice um, with Matt Nieto and Noel Chari, or rather coming out of Saturday since they didn't play in Saturday's game. But um, both of those guys sidelined. Matt Nieto now joining uh, POJ, Ruedel, and Raquel on injured reserve. Raquel, of course, being long-term IR. Um, the injuries, the lack of depth, um, these are things that we maybe kind of saw coming. But how concerning is that relative to what we expected, say, a month and a half, two months ago? Uh, given the way the team is structured, both in Pittsburgh as well as what they have in Wilkes-Barre? Well, it's it's a concern. I mean, this was entering the season. You looked at this team. You said, okay, they added Graves. They added Carlson. Um, you know, they, they signed some interesting players for their bottom six. But do they have a third line? Do they have a third pair? Um, you know, in depth, quality depth is a big concern, even when they're completely healthy. And now that they've um, lost some players. I mean, you could throw in Brian Russ missing three games or four games, whatever it was recently that, you know, forced them to play some guys up the lineup who shouldn't be there. So yeah, it's a concern because injuries are going to happen, um, you know, and they're going to continue to happen. And the answers really aren't there internally. Um, you know, we saw Alex Nylander get called up with Matt Nieto going on IR, you know, Jansen Harkins has been here. Um, Redeem Sohorna is still around. I mean, these guys are not really bringing much to the table anymore. I mean, Sohorna had that, you know, two-week stretch where he was really impactful and he's kind of turned back into a pumpkin. So, and you look at the minors and there's not really anything there to be excited about. I mean, Sam Pullen is like the one guy you're like, okay, maybe this is a young player who could come in and make a little bit of an impact and he's injured. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a big concern and, and, you know, complicating it is, you know, they don't really have an avenue to – upgrade. I mean, maybe if they continue to manage the cap the way they have been, they can, you know, come into the trade deadline with like two and a half million dollars of cap space or something like that. Um, but that's only going to take them so far unless they're willing to make, you know, additional moves on top of it to create more space. So um, long answer is, is yeah, it's a concern because, you know, there's no real way for them to get better internally uh, other than just having guys play better. And, you know, I don't know if a guy like Vinny Henestroza or Matt Nieto, when he's healthy, is capable of, of contributing more than what we've seen from them already. Right. It's one thing to have the concerns about the guys who are in Wilkes who, you know, for the most part, kind of speaking broadly, a lot of these guys have their flaws, right? The ones who are maybe more offensively driven, that's not what they need from the bottom six, that these guys aren't responsible enough defensively, or the ones who are coming up here, um, that, you know, they're not contributing enough on the offensive end. That even goes for the guys who are currently in Pittsburgh, like you mentioned, the Hinnestrosas, the Zahornas, and before he was injured, Nieto. So um, it, it's I look at the group and, yeah, you, you look up and down the Wilkes-Barre roster too. I, I don't know that there's anybody that jumps off the page. You mentioned Poland. I don't know that there's anybody right now who's pressing for a call-up. I know Nylander just got brought back up, but, I mean, we talked about it last week on the podcast. It's not a guy that, to me, screams as a bona fide NHL player by any stretch. So. Um, yeah, to me, that that arguably might be the greatest concern with the Penguins, just given the fragility of the roster based on age and complementing that with a, I guess the way I would put it would be uh, not very deep Wilkes-Barre roster. When they brought up Yuna Kapanen, is that how you say it? <laughs> I believe so. No, I'm bad at pronouncing names. He was a fourth line center with uh, Achari out against the Flyers. Uh, we'll see if that's the case again Monday night, but um yeah, another guy who's barely played in the league, 25 years old, um, you know, has some size, um, you know, but what is that? He's going to come in and maybe just be a, a fourth line kind of low event guy. I mean, it's really nothing to get 
um, super excited about there. So yeah, I mean, just uh, not a ton internally, um, even though they signed a bunch of guys, um, none of them have really popped and that's not good. Yeah. And I guess it's to be expected too, when you're bringing guys in on minimum contracts that we got to hope that like one pops, like one, give me one. And that was like Zahorna for like two weeks, but yeah. Then I I like the terminology of the pumpkin one. That was a, that was a good reference. I enjoyed that. Um, (laughs) Big uh, big pumpkin, big Z. Yeah. Something like that. Um, You mentioned a couple of the newcomers too. Um, You brought up graves. We've obviously talked about Carlson a little bit here earlier. Um, but you know, there's three that kind of come to mind in those two, as well as Riley Smith as kind of the bigger name, uh, gets of the off season, either via trade or free agency. Um, would it be fair uh, both to speak broadly and individually for these guys would underwhelming be a fair word to describe the contributions they've gotten from that trio so far? Yeah, definitely. Um, for sure. Um, you know, I think we can go through each of them individually. I mean, let's start with Carlson. I don't think he's been a disappointment, um, you know, it just feels like there's another gear there that he still hasn't hit. I know he had that stretch where he was putting up points for a while. Um, he's cooled off um, two points in the last seven games. Um, he's shown some cracks defensively. Um, you know, the the play he made in overtime in Nashville, I know the Penguins were upset and their fans were upset that interference wasn't called on Ryan O'Reilly. Um, you know, it could have been called, probably should have been called, but um, – you know, had O'Reilly not run into Sidney Crosby there, like Carlson had pulled himself out of the play because he was trying to yank O'Reilly back into the zone and completely, you know, left the entire, uh, you know, he let the guy walk right in because he just kind of spaced out and left that area. And, you know, I think we've started to see some of those signs defensively where he hasn't been great. And you throw in the, the struggles on the power play, um, you know, and even though he's been productive, he drives offense, um, he's still a, a very high level player. Um, you know, I think it's also fair to say that, you know, he hasn't quite been as good as the Penguins have hoped. Still get there, but. Yeah, in due time. But yeah. So Carlson's the first one that comes to mind here. Obviously, that's the biggest uh, name. When you look at Graves, it's a very different player to evaluate, right? This is a guy who's more defensively driven. And he's had, you would argue, perhaps a tougher time or a more difficult task of getting up to speed because with Carlson, it's more that Marcus Pedersen is the one who needs to adjust his game to Carlson's. But in Graves' case, it's been having to adjust to Crystal Tang, who, you know, there have been many guys who have come through Pittsburgh, Brian Dumoulin, of course, being the longest tenured of them who have had the assignment of playing with Latang. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but um, we're 23 games, I believe it is, into us now. what have you seen from Graves' game as he's gotten to work with Latang? Well, respectfully, I don't think it has anything to do with Latang. I, I think it's just all on Ryan Graves. Um, you know, he talked uh, a few weeks ago about how big of an adjustment it was to the way the Penguins play, um, you know, their in zone defense and, and where their, you know, players are kind of taught to apply pressure. And, you know, I think it shows up at times where he hasn't been as um, strong defensively as maybe at, we all expected when he came here. Um, and then the bigger issue is just his play with the puck. I mean, he just, he looked comfortable for a while. It's like he, his first, like, I don't know, eight games or so, we'll say he really looked tentative, unsure what to do with the puck. And then he had a little run there of like two, three weeks where he's playing really well. And it looked like he'd finally settled in and found a stride. And then the last couple of weeks here, he's been rough. We've seen him, 
um, get demoted to the third line late in games for John Ludwig, who none of us had ever heard of like two <laughs> months ago. Um, so that's not ideal. And that doesn't mean Graves can't turn it around. But um, I think the most uh, the, the glaring thing is his decisions with the puck. He just looks like so tentative, like, do I pass to the Latang? Do I skate with it? Oh, oh God, there's a player on me. I'm just going to rattle around off the glass. Like, and I, I think that's been a problem for him as well. It's just like his, I mean, we'll see if it comes with time with comfort level. Um, but it is a different way of playing here in Pittsburgh than what he was used to in his two previous spots. Yeah. Colorado and New Jersey, certainly a little bit different of systems, but you know, in general, very different than what the Penguins have um, for Graves. Um the last one, of course, being Riley Smith. We brought him up a little bit earlier. A guy who uh, got some brief time on the top power play unit and very much had a fast start on Malkin's line, uh, or Malkin's line, excuse me, but since then has kind of tapered off a little bit. Um, in general, though, speaking broadly about Smith's game as a guy who was brought in to replace Jason Zucker, um, what have you uh, garnered from what you've seen from Smith? Yeah, he just hasn't been all that noticeable over the last, um, 10 games or so. I, I got some numbers here for you. Um, you had those two goals in San Jose. Everybody had two goals. I scored two goals in San Jose that night. Um, uh, that gave him 11 points in, in 10 games, which was great. That line was was clicking, even though Raquel wasn't scoring. And then Raquel started to struggle even more. And then the line kind of fell apart. And then Raquel got hurt. And here we are. Um, since then, last 13 games, zero goals for Riley Smith and just two assists. Um, somehow they're only just minus three. Um, I would have guessed it would have been a lot worse considering the fact that they're not really scoring. Um, but yeah, not great. Um, you know, for, for Riley Smith, I, I don't know what your obs observations are with him. Um, again, I mean, he was built as a guy who can score off the rush. That's the way Juno likes to play. Um, you know, kind of similar to Casper Kapan in that regard. Maybe it's just a, a, a case of it's feast or famine off the rush and they're not really generating offense other ways. I don't know. What, what have you seen from those two together and um, me, meeting Malkin and Riley Smith? Right. Yeah, no, I've been in a similar camp and it's funny you bring that up because, you know, Sullivan was asked about that today uh, assessing Smith's play and kind of had, he was pretty blunt about it and delivered some same comments to what I had been kind of been internalizing about Smith is um, maybe a little bit too careless with the puck too. Um, there have been some plays in the defensive zone. The one, Stands out to me in Nashville where he had the cross check that led to a delayed penalty that allowed the Predators to score. But outside of that one moment, which, of course, is just isolating a singular event, um, there have been a lot of times where you know Smith is delivering a, pa a pass behind him that's a little bit too loose. Um, you know, he kind of plays a, like you said, a similar style to Malkin. Um, and that can be both good, but also very detrimental to that line. So I'm right there with you. I don't know how that plus minus isn't lower um, for that line and for him in specific, but. Um, yeah, it's really, I think feast or famine is you're hitting the nail on the head with that because it's a guy who really good off the rush. Um, Sullivan said that adding Drew O'Connor that line, they, that he hoped that that would allow them to have more of a established game in the offensive zone. I'm not seeing it and that's no detriment on O'Connor or any of these one guys in particular, but I just think that's the nature of this line. And I don't know that Smith is bringing a dimension that Malkin doesn't already bring or brings out of teammates. It's more so that they're just kind of feeding off each other. And when it's great, it's great. But when it's when they're not getting opportunities off the rush, there's not really anything to write home about, right? Do you write home to your family about Riley Smith and how he's producing off the rush? Like uh, a handwritten you know, letter? 
Uh, occasionally, I have my letters waiting here, but I, I haven't written about him okay. in probably three weeks now. Yeah. Now I see why they ship you the whole way across the country for college. <laughs> it was something like that. I mean, they had to spend more money on clothes. I mean, you, you didn't have to wear like big jackets back at home, but I, I guess anything to get me out of the house, right? That's right. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, last segment, of course, we always finish off with stick taps. Uh, Matt, who are you going with this, uh, this week? Well, I got to give it to Tristan Jari. Um, awesome goal. Uh, I wrote, this wasn't exactly a bold prediction, but I, I know I wrote a couple of years ago on my weekly call. I'm like, this guy is going to score a goal in the league. Um, it was only a matter of time. I feel like Mike Sullivan wanted to rein him in a little bit. Uh, we've seen Tristan take some chances with trying to get uh, – empty net goals. I remember a game against the Sharks maybe last year or the year before where they almost blew like a six-goal lead in the third period and Jari went behind his net to try to get a goal and uh, it led to a Sharks goal. So I know uh, <laughs> it's yep. just funny hearing like Sullivan's reaction like to Nadelkovic scoring or Jari Jar scoring. It's just like, just stop the puck. But I think it was totally um, reasonable, responsible to play Tristan made. Um, you know, the puck came right to him. Uh, he just shot it down the net, perfect shot, shot it over the defense. It wasn't like an unnecessary risk, and he just swished it from 180 feet or whatever it was. So cool to see. Um, pretty unbelievable that he almost had a goal before Jeff Carter did. Um, but stick taps to Tristan Jari. Um, now we'll see if he can become – how many how many goals have scored multiple goals in the NHL? Three guys maybe? Yeah. Uh, Bredor and Hextall, although Hextall had a playoff goal. Yeah, Hex, I think it might just be those two in because whoever, if anybody else does, it would have to be postseason because Berdour is the only one who has it in the regular season for multiple goals. Uh, Patrick Wall should have had one. I just remember the play where he skated in the neutral zone and did a spinorama around Wayne Gretzky. I kind of feel like Patrick Wall should have one. I guess he didn't have the – he had the swagger to try to score a goal, but maybe not the, the puck skills. How funny was this, though? Tristan talking about it post-game, he got asked, like, how often do you practice that? And he's like, I never practice it. I was like, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, we go to practice every day or most days of the week. I have seen Tristan attempt many a shot on the opposite net. but Well, he's got, like, this big barley farm in Edmonton. You know he's just there with, like, his giant dogs, whatever they are. And he's just, like, has, like, a 200-foot, like, uh, the fake ice surface. And he just is out there all day, all summer on the barley farm, just shooting empty netters just to be ready for this moment. It was it all paid off. Were you jealous of it at the former goalie in you? Did you ever get one of those? I'm I'm guessing. No, 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 no. no. Okay. All right. My uh my I scored on my own net a couple times. <laughs> really? Well, Care to tell those stories? No, I'm good. <laughs> all right. Uh my stick taps go out to Jeff Carter. Uh you brought him up there. Just beat out Tristan Jari for first goal of the season. That's, of course, what I'm giving it to him for, but also for just being a stand-up guy really all season, obviously dealing with being a healthy scratch there for a little bit. Um, has been nothing but good to the media this season for sure. I think, it, you know, personally speaking, maybe you feel differently or, you know, feel free to chime in, but um, probably gets a little bit more of a bad rap in this city than maybe deserved in terms of um, availability and things of that nature was nothing but delightful to speak with after the game, talking about both himself uh, and Jari's goalie goal. Um, so stick taps to Jeff Carter for getting off the schneid um, and as well for just being a guy who's been available uh, this season to talk about some things that maybe you and I wouldn't be as welcoming to chatting about for a guy who has an NHL career like he's had. I've got nothing to add. Oh, thanks, Matt. I guess I did well on that stick tap. All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> I'm done.
thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will catch you all next week with more Penguins chat. Uh, in the meantime, follow along with our content on post-gazette.com. Matt's got us covered uh, for the week, heading out to Philadelphia as well as Florida and Tampa. We will see you all again next time. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com. <laughs>